this is home for a lot of us. This is home for many of us, and and I mean uh, more than just Dupont. But Chloe Clark and and uh, you know the just the memories that are here. Uh, I was talking uh, with with somebody that's relatively new to the church this morning. I was saying how all my kids started kindergarten here, and I have four kids, and one of them's getting a master's right now master's degree. He's my oldest. The other two have graduated and are in school, uh, in college. And, and then my youngest is a senior at Stolcombe High School. And uh, I've, we've been in DuPont for about 20 years, a little over 20 years. And it's just home. I'm just so glad to be here. And, and so I was being serious when we came in here last night, started setting up. Uh, it was it was pretty awesome to be here. So it's great to see you guys. Make sure you're uh, just loving on people around you, uh, inviting your friends. A lot of people uh, know about it, but, you know, 10 a.m. Seahawks game this morning. So you guys are the holy ones. I see a few earbuds in, or I see you looking at your phone. I know that you're following God's word, right? But if you scream out at some time, just go ahead and save the score. I don't care. I'm not DVRing, and I need to know. Uh, but anyways, yeah, awesome. We got the, okay, it's working. We've been preaching outside. If you've been part of our, our summer series, well, we've been outside down in DuPont. So we've had our laptop, but we haven't had the, the screen behind us. So a lot of these new things are new uh, back to us after a season are kicking into play today. So, yeah, if you need anything during the service, don't be afraid to just get up, go get it. And if you can't find it, just, you know, raise your hand or just yell it out and we'll, we'll help you find it. So we're a family here. We're in the book study uh, right now, uh, th- going through the book of Revelation. Uh, if you're new to the church, it was just, I think, one or two people that I thought maybe were brand new to the church this morning when they walked in. Um, we've been going through the book of Revelation. We're going to find ourselves in chapter 13 today, last book of the Bible. Uh, it's a, a vision that John the Apostle had when he was in his early 90s. Probably the last disciple left alive at the time of writing this. Uh, and he was in prison. He was exiled to the island of Patmos, uh, I believe is what it was, uh, and where he was at. And he was given this vision and he wrote it down about what is to come. And so throughout the first 12 weeks, I, I would dare say, ask this question out loud and wait for an answer. But I hate being put on the spot, so I don't want to do that to you this morning. But I was going to say, what we have seen or, or what have we seen through these first 12 chapters consistently through it or that Pastor Kevin and Dave and I have been trying to really uh, express from the front? Um, and, and hopefully your answer would be God's sovereignty. God is in control. No matter what happens, no matter how it looks, that, that God is in control. He's in control now. He's always been in control. And he's going to be in control through the end. I hope you guys agree with that. That's what the book of Revelation is all about. It's talking about the end to try to give us some peace in case we are alive during that end times. As we see some of these things potentially start, we can have confidence in God's sovereignty. And we're going to see that again today. Uh, And so I, I hope that you're encouraged by that. You and I are image bearers of God. We know that starting in Genesis Genesis chapter 1, when God created the heavens and the earth, he created mankind in his image. And and we're marked by Christ. You and I, we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ, the cross. The cross is the shed blood. We needed that shed blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. So it was a requirement for God, for his wrath 
to be satisfied because you and I, no matter how good you are, are not good enough. We are rebellious and sinful people. I look at myself when I say those things. I stand in front of a mirror and I know that what I just said is true, right? No matter how good I try to be, it's not good enough because I am a human being. So praise God for Jesus Christ, for the cross, for the blood that was shed, that when God looks at me right now here on this earth, he sees Jesus' blood. When I truly stand at the end before the throne of God, and he asks me why I should let you into heaven, Mark Miller of DuPont, Washington, I could say, because of the blood that was shed on Calvary, because I placed my faith in that. He, he, sat, he was the sacrifice that you needed. And because of that, uh, and, and nothing else, do I deserve to be in your kingdom. We're marked by Christ. And, and that's an incredible truth. And, and after he died on the cross, he was buried. I don't want to leave the story there. I always want to go through the burial because it's so important. Jesus Christ was fully dead on that cross. And they put him in a tomb. And yet on that third day, he was raised. Amen? Victorious. That's the gospel. We could pray now and go back and have a snack and enjoy the afternoon. And I would feel it's a, it's a, it, it's a productive day. But we are going to look into Revelation chapter 13. But I wanted you to remember that we are important to God, even with our faults and our rebellion. He chases after us. He's with us every step of the way. So that when we finally realize, you know what, I'm done screwing up and turn around, it's not a long ways back to God. He's right here with us. He loves us, and being marked by Christ is something that we need to live in the confidence that comes in that. So when I do fail and I trip and I fall and, and my brothers and sisters are here around me to help pick me up and help me on, right, it's because the power of Jesus Christ in me that I can get up and move on. And that's incredible. So all those things are so true. And really, that's what we're going to be focusing on today. My, my intro was not supposed to be that, so I apologize for the last five minutes. It was supposed to be on, like, true and false, okay? I don't know how many of you like true and false tests when you were in junior high or high school. Raise your hand. Get it up there. I want to see these hands. I loved true and false tests. Now, I had two educators for parents, okay? I had an elementary school teacher mother, and I had a high school teacher father okay luckily I didn't have to be in either one of their classes when I say luckily I'm saying luckily for them okay but if I had a teacher I loved it when the teacher would give me a true and false test okay there's only two answers true or false you got a 50 50 chance right I mean I, I could potentially get that right I, I, I like that kind of a test and, and so those were great for me now, they didn't always work out. I still failed some of those. Okay, maybe some of you are like that. And other ones I, I, I got that maybe I shouldn't have gotten because I didn't know. I also remember, though, back in middle school, and this is going to date me a little bit, so I apologize if you do, but when your friends would be, like, saying something and it wasn't quite, quite right, you would go, like, false. You remember that? Any of you guys remember that? Are you willing to admit? False. False. You know, and you put your hand up like a stop sign. Nobody? Nobody remembers False. Man, I'm old. Okay, true or false, we need to know the truth. You and I, walking this life, heading down this path, engaging with our community, with our family, with our friends, we need to know the truth. 
know the truth of God's word. We need to know the truth of the gospel in our lives. We need to know the truth. That way we can reject what is false. You and I are going to be presented with false things throughout our lives. And we need to be able to reject those things. And in the end time, you need to be able to reject false teaching. Reject the false uh, leadership and, and, and stuff that's, that's going to come in the end days, right? And we need to be able to identify that. So today, we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 13, know the truth, reject the false. Starting in verse 1, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like bears, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. So the word here, beast, will appear in our text today to, de- to describe two different personas. So you got to kind of keep that in mind as we're working through this passage. And, and the first will be the Antichrist. Okay, we're going to look at the Antichrist. A lot of you have been waiting for this moment. In chapter 1 when we were preaching, I had a couple people come up to me after that sermon and be like, when are we getting to the Antichrist? Okay, because people want to talk about this. They want to know. The second one will be the false prophet of the Antichrist. Okay, so we're going to talk about both those people today. Uh, Both of them are empowered by Satan himself. If you were with us last week, you remember Satan was a dragon. Okay, that's the way that John described him as a dragon. Pretty ferocious, powerful, scary, crazy, right? The pure embodiment of evil. And they will form an unholy trinity. Like we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Here we're going to see Satan, the Antichrist, and the prophet. Fake, right? False. Okay, get the hand up like I did in middle school. False. Maybe it was a Christian school thing. I was there, so that could have been it. The first ten verses here are going to describe the Antichrist. And although we're going to be talking about the Antichrist, and there's no debate about that amongst Christians, uh, scholars of all all, uh, different backgrounds will agree this is the antichrist that word's not going to show up actually in the book of revelation at all we get that name from several different references in first and second john so if you're interested in that sort of thing maybe write down first and second john antichrist that way you can look it up uh on your own uh first john 2 and chapter 4 and then uh in second john chapter 7 in daniel 7 which we just came out of a study in daniel Uh, he is called the little horn, who we're going to be describing right now. In Daniel 9, the prince or the ruler who is to come. And in 2 Thessalonians, he's referred to as the lawless one or the man of sin. So this person we're going to talk about, this Antichrist, is going to be connected throughout the Bible. He's been prophesied about. We refer to him as the Antichrist most often because it just makes sense because Antichrist literally means the one who is against Christ, okay? He's not going to make qualms about that. He's not going to try to trick people anymore that he is 
in agreement with God. He's not going to use any deception like that at this point, right? He is going to put himself in the place of God. The Antichrist is set on his course and he knows what he is coming to do. He is going to fiercely oppose the true Messiah. And then he's going to insert himself into that place. This is what we say about Jesus. This is what we believe happened to Jesus. This is what our faith is resting on. And the Antichrist is going to come in and say, I am, right? I am God. I am who you need to worship. I am who you need to believe in, right? He's going to desire to replace him. As we were thinking about true and false and, and, and studying this week and teachers, I thought of the substitute teacher. I don't know how many of you guys are substitute teachers for a living. Maybe a few of you, none of you. I know we've had some in the past. I see one hand in the back there. Okay. Um, a substitute teacher comes in. What's the temptation, at least in middle school or high school? Well, this isn't my teacher. This person's just here for the day. I don't need to listen to him. False, fake, not my teacher, right? That is not, it, that is not a good way to look at your substitute teachers. They are there to teach you something, and you need to listen up. Well, in this case, this is someone who's tr- desiring to replace more on a permanent level, not just like a substitute teacher. One of the interesting things to note here is, is that both the Antichrist and his kingdom are going to be described in this chapter. Uh, when Kevin and I were talking about this week as we were preparing for the sermon, he and I, him, he's preaching right now down in, in Lacey. Uh, we kind of thought it was kind of on par with Hitler. When you talk about Hitler, you think about Hitler, but also Nazi Germany together, right? So here we're going to be talking about the Antichrist and his kingdom or his rule, his people, and they're kind of equated together, right? Uh, Putin and Russia, whatever it might be, however you put that together, you got a leader and kind of the people or the kingdom. Many of the descriptions here are true of both the Antichrist and his kingdom. So as we go through this and we see that, um, they describe both the person and who he is with or what he is trying to accomplish. By describing him as a beast, you get the idea of this evil that's present in this person, right? He represents Satan. He is a monster, but not all will see him that way. And just as the devil appears as an angel of light, he's trying to deceive people, Right? And we know he was a beautiful angel when he was cast out of heaven. He's not the red pitchforked, two-horned guy standing next to a lake of fire that we like to draw in cartoons. Right, He was a beautiful angel, and people are deceived by him. He is the deceiver, Satan himself. In the same manner, the world is going to be deceived by the Antichrist. Now, these are people who do not believe in Jesus already. Right, will be deceived by him because they will see him and they will believe. And we're going to get into that a little bit more here in just a minute. Right? They're going to love his power. They're going to love his charisma, the way that he leads. Right? Let's quickly look at the description here that's given of the beast, the Antichrist, and his kingdom. He rises up out of the sea. Now this could refer specifically to the Mediterranean Sea. John might have been seeing that in, in his vision just like Daniel saw. Uh, in his visions, the sea could also be a picture of the untamed and, and dangerous oceans of the world, 
right? Because we're living in a time where things are going to be broadcast 24-7 on every channel, right? Anytime anything happens, everybody knows it around the world, right? It's on social media, it's on TV, whatever that might be. These dangerous oceans, whatever it is, he is going to rise up. Again, this is metaphorical in this sense, in the sense of John sees him rise to power, and he's going to have civil and military power in this world. The ten horns represent the kingdoms. Again, gained by power and and force, and we believe that this is likely referring to ten earthly kingdoms around the globe. And maybe even with 10 specific kings that he is going to help come to power so that he can really control the entire world. Seven heads, this seems to call back to the seven past kingdoms that were uh, prophetically ruled by the pre-antichrists. Prophecy often has more than one fulfillment. And this is definitely what we see here in this apocalyptic type prophecy. So it's referring back to Daniel and some of those other chapters in the Old Testament. The ten diadems, these crowns, are placed on the horns rather than on the heads. Remember, seven heads but ten horns. Um, Political power. The Antichrist gains that through military force. He is going to rule and reign the world. Now, I know we're in America. and We don't believe that's going to happen or that could happen, right? I mean, we're like, no, we're Americans. That would never happen. I'm just reading and trying to help you guys understand what is in Scripture. And there's going to be a lot of crazy stuff going on here, right? But that's the way we see it here. That's the way I see it. Uh, and, and, and these blasphemous names that are written on the heads, again, speaking lies about the true God. And that will be most evident as the Antichrist claims to be God. There will be an earthly rule of someone who claims to be God. Then we're given in verse 2 the description that might sound familiar to some of you. If you were here for the Daniel study, I saw a beast that was like a leopard. Its feet were like bear's feet. Its mouth was like a lion's mouth. Again, John is trying to describe something that he doesn't really know how to describe. So he's using the words and the, and the pictures, uh, pic, word pictures that, that describe best what he sees. In Daniel 7, God showed Daniel three future kingdoms described as a leopard, a bear, and a lion. As 21st century readers, uh, these have already been, uh, these, 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 I should say, kingdoms have already taken place. We've seen these kingdoms. If you remember back to Daniel, we went through and, and we, we were able to point out the different kingdoms that existed after Babylon Who were the described kingdoms here? So those things have already taken place. Now the fourth kingdom that Daniel was shown was the Antichrist kingdom. That's all that's left that needs to happen. One more kingdom, and it's going to be the worst of them all. And so it makes sense that this beast looks like the other three kingdoms that have come and gone. It's going to be incredible. They're just a taste of the power And the scope of the Antichrist's kingdom at the end of time. 
Now, again, these three animals may also describe the character of the beast. One of my uh, mentors and good friends, Keith Krell, says like a leopard, he's going to move swift and, and quickly and rapidly rise to power. Right? Quick. Shock and awe. Feet like a bear, per, per, uh, possessing all kinds of overwhelming strength, brutal strength. Not afraid of anything that's standing in his way. And a mouth like a lion, shredding anyone or anything that gets in his way. This Antichrist will not care. He is a dictator, and he will have his way. And to this beast, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. We see that this person is gaining power or has power because Satan is giving it to him. We were introduced to the dragon last chapter, chapter 12, last week, as Satan himself. Satan is real, friends, right? He's not just a symbol of evil. He was a created angel by God. He had great power in heaven, and he decided that, you know what? I'm not okay with just being one of God's created. I think that I'm actually equal to God, if not greater, We all know that story. His pride, his arrogance, that was his downfall. He was very proud. I've got this. I should rule and reign. He convinced a third of the angels to go with him. And we've seen throughout Revelation already this very real battle between Satan and God. And so we see that the Antichrist receives his power from Satan. He'll be an agent of Satan. Satan believes himself to be as powerful as God the Father. To that I say, false. Right? He's not even close. You and I, brother and sister, today we got to know the truth and we have to reject the false. If Satan's trying to set himself up as God the Father, he's using the Antichrist to try to take the place of the Son, Jesus Christ, and and we're going to see how here in verse 3. Verse 3 says, one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? When I read those verses, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like some of those books, those uh, left behind books or whatever that I've read, right? I mean... One of its heads seemed to have this mortal wound, but the mortal wound was healed. The whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. The Antichrist receives a mortal wound. From what we can tell, he actually dies. And again, I think this is in Satan's plan. Because if this Antichrist dies and then is resurrected, and it's all over social media, and it's all over the news, and everybody knows about it, A lot of people will follow that, right? God allows for this to happen. And this wows the world. Someone this powerful is somebody that we can follow. Somebody that we could trust, right? False. Step back from that for a second, right? We got to know the truth. We got to reject the false. What a crock. This is a cheap imposter. This story has already been told, right? Emmanuel, God with us. What we talked about before we started the sermon, in my pre-sermonette this morning. Jesus Christ, he gave up his life 
for the sins of you and I, for the entire world, for anyone who would call on his name to be saved. Satan doesn't even have the mental capacity to come up with his own story. He plays out the one that God already wrote. Jesus Christ, the truth. Satan and his antichrist, the false. It's like cheating on a test, right? He's taking God's answer. Isn't it sad that for thousands of years, hard-hearted men and women have refused to trust in the idea of Jesus, the Son of God, coming to this earth, dying on a cross and being resurrected because it doesn't make sense. And yet we know from the story, from what's going to happen in Revelation, that that is what is going to happen and they're going to be deceived by it. They're going to see this beast healed of his mortal wound and they're going to flock to him. Know the truth. Reject the false. We have to know God's word so we're ready. I'm a little early on that one. Not only that, but they give the dragon, Satan, and the beast, the Antichrist, what God Almighty and his son deserve only. If we look up there at that, they worship him. They worship Satan, who is the source of the Antichrist, and they worship the Antichrist with this mocking phrase. I hope it made sense to some of you as I read it. Who is like the beast and who can fight against it? These are words stolen from the Old Testament. It's a gross parody of praise that God's people gave to him throughout Scripture when he would step in and save the day. Exodus 8, Psalm 71, Psalm 89, Micah 7, and we could go on and on and on. This idea of praise, God the Father, he is the only one incomparable to anyone else. He alone deserves honor and praise because he is set apart from all creation as the creator. God has has existed for all time. He created the angels. That means he created Satan. We need to know the truth. And we need to believe the truth. Do we believe that? That he is set apart from everything else that is corrected. True, right? Okay, if we're going to have the false, we've got to have the truth. We've got to know the truth so that we can reject the false. This idea of the worship that's going to happen to Satan and his Antichrist, it it, it should put a sour taste in our mouth. Worship and praise is reserved for God alone. Verse 5, and the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was uh, allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. And it opened its mouth and uttered blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name was not written before or written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slain. And I know that's a lot, but as we go through it, it's going to make sense. 
the horror and the disgust of this beast's reign is going to continue for 42 months. 42 months, three and a half years. Remember, we have a seven-year tribulation. We believe this is a half of that, right? This is the time that God has ordained for this. God's sovereignty, what we've been talking about throughout the book of Revelation. God is in control, right? God is in control even for those who do not believe in him. God is in control. Again, we got to know the truth to reject the false. In fact, God's sovereign control over even these horrific events, these blasphemous events, is evident in these verses. And that's why I wanted to get them all up on the screen at one time. I know that's a lot, but look at this. When we click this in here, okay, four times John records what's going on. God is allowing the results of sin to come to a head. Okay? We see God in control of this. Satan, the Antichrist, and his prophet are not in control. God is. That's what we see here. Do you see that? Do you understand that? We've seen sovereignty throughout Revelation. We see it throughout God's word. And up until now in human history, God has been patiently waiting He's provided us a way to be saved from our sin as a result of of, of the rebellion in our lives, right? And we see that at the end of verse 8, right? Because if you believe in, in Jesus Christ, your name's written in the book of the Lamb who was slain. Amen, right? This is good. This is really good stuff, right? He took the punishment. The truth is Jesus died. He took the punishment for our sin. And as a result of that, we don't have to. Now, when I'm talking about that kind of death, I'm talking about eternal separation from God. Unless the Lord returns and raptures his church, which we'll talk about, you know, a couple different times here in the rest of this book. But unless that happens, each one of us will die. We can't escape death. But we will not have to be eternally separated from God if we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ. This is good stuff, right? But during this seven-year period at the end of days, God allows sin to have its ultimate end, right? He no longer holds back. He steps out and lets it go crazy. And even so, even in all of this and how scary this reads, God is still in control because he is the one who's allowing it. For, for 42 months, look what the, the beast is allowed to do certain things. And look at those things up there. Utter haughty and blasphemous words. The power of words cannot be underestimated. We talk about that because, uh, especially with our kids, you got to be careful what you say and who you say it to. And the power in words. And then we try to teach our, our kids that, that even if they're being uh, talked about in a negative way or a hurtful way, that although the words hurt, that behind those words is somebody that's hurting more than them. And we try to understand and, and coax our kids. We have to do that to each other too. When things are said about our spouses or about our friends, and we, we have to talk. My point is, words have a lot of power. And the Antichrist is going is to use blasphemous words against a holy God to tear down who God is and to build himself up. 
He's also allowed to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who live in heaven, and then even to make war on the saints and to conquer them. The Antichrist will rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. Again, the Antichrist will be over these ten other ruling kingdoms. The result of that is literally, what does it say up there? All who dwell on the earth will worship it. John is not mincing words here. Now, he does give an exception. See, he says all, but he gives an exception. Those who believe in the lamb that was slain, and if you have a hard time with God being in control, this next part might be a little bit touchy for you, because we're going to talk a little bit about the tenets of predestination, but we say, see here, right, those whose names have been written in the, before the foundation of the world, before God created the world, there was a book with your name in it. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, God follows you, God calls you, God draws you, Holy Spirit moves you towards that relationship with him. And we see that here in this verse. Now, uh, it's hard to understand even for me sometimes, but we have to trust God's holy word. So we got to wrestle with it, we got to learn to live in the tension of it. Right, But then in God's sovereignty, he is calling people unto himself, and those people will accept that free gift. And their names were written in this book of life. And that's an incredible truth, right? Man does have a responsibility to respond to this. But bottom line, we see throughout Scripture that God has called you. He has chosen you. He loves you, and he wants to save you. And we see that here where John writes this down. So these two amazing uh, results of that truth, though, even though they're hard to grasp, is one, you didn't do anything to earn your salvation. I hope you know that today. Because that can keep people from accepting that gift if they think, I am not, I'm not good enough. I haven't done enough. Maybe someday when I'm living a little bit better life, I could accept that God might love me or God might forgive me. You didn't do earn anything to earn your salvation. So God gets all the credit. Amen to that? Okay. I think we can all agree on that. The second thing is you didn't do anything to earn your salvation. Same thing, right? So you can't do anything to lose your salvation. And I hope you know that. Because there's nothing more scary than for somebody to go through this life thinking, man, if I screw up, God might not love me anymore. The scripture, I believe, is, is clear that our names are written in the book of life. There is nothing that we can do to lose salvation that has been freely given to us. Your position with God is secure And I hope you know that. You are saved because of God. God chose you. Just like Satan was given, was allowed, was allowed, was given, God has chosen you, brother and sister. You're saved because God chose you. He drew you unto himself. You placed faith in the lamb of God, the lamb who was slain. Your name's in that book, and find your confidence in that. Hold to that and live like that. And again, we don't have to fear the beast because he's got 42 months, three and a half years. That is a long time, right? It is. It's a long time. It's almost your high school career, right? But we will rule and reign with Christ for eternity, and that's the attitude in which John pens 
these next few verses. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive to captivity, go. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. If anyone has an ear, that should sound familiar if you've been with us through the study in the book of Revelation. You remember at the very beginning, Jesus wrote a letter. John penned it, but Jesus wrote it to each one of the churches. And each one of them it said, for you who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So what's missing? Just that end part, what the Spirit says to the churches. It's the same concept. It's just not to the churches anymore. And and so again, I truly believe this is further evidence. I'm going to hold this with an open hand, but I believe this is an evidence that the rapture has taken place. The seven uh, churches that were written to, obviously all the believers on the earth have been raptured and taken away. But people will come to know the true God during this season, this time. And that's where John was saying, everybody's going to worship the beast unless their name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And if the church has already been raptured, obviously more people have come to know him that came to know him a little later in life. So again, it's a lot of confusing things, but that's what I believe. Uh, The church has already been taken up with heaven or with Jesus to heaven until he comes again at the end of this seven years. But believers then are imprisoned or killed during the tribulation. Those are those martyrs that their cries are being heard from the throne. We've read about that a couple different times already in the book of Revelation. And we got to understand that during this great tribulation, no matter what happens, it's ordained by God. If anyone's to be uh, taken captive, go to captivity, right? God wants me as a believer, if he wants me to be thrown in prison or persecuted, I need to be ready to go. The question I should ask myself is not, how can I avoid persecution for being a believer? But instead, how can I be faithful and endure persecution? So even though I believe you and I won't be here at this time, we will see persecution before the end of our lives. Some of us are seeing it now. If you, live to, if you choose to live for Christ, you experience persecution because of that. And God here through this passage, even though it's talking about a specific time period, the application is, as a believer, I should not be looking for the avoidance of persecution. But I want to become the kind of man or woman that is faithful and endures persecution. It says here, if anyone wants to be slain for the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Again, talking about a specific time here, but applicable to you and I. Now, we see that around the world. We don't see that here in America, right? We see it around the world. But every once in a while, there's a story about somebody here in America that dies for their faith. And it might become more common in our life. It might not. But are you ready? If God calls you to lay down your life as a follower of his, as a testament, as a testimony, as a martyr. I know it sounds pretty un-American to some of us when we're thinking about uh, a heavenly citizenship instead of 
one that's here and, and, and only temporal for a small time in America because we stand up for what we want. But here God is saying, hey, if I call for you to die, I want you to do it with endurance and faith. Right? That's the call on our lives. If anyone's to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. This is talking specifically about religious persecution. This is the call. The call here is for endurance and faith of the saints. Believe in the sovereignty of God. What we've been reading throughout Revelation about God is in control. We need to be ready then to endure. We need to have faith. We need to believe that God is in control. And he promises us, you and I, that in the midst of it all, that you will not be alone. And you got to remember that. If God calls you to go through persecution, if he calls you to be jailed because of your faith, or even to the point of being killed for who you believe in, you are not alone. We need to know the truth of God's word, and we need to reject the false. Let's finish up here. The second beast. There were two beasts, 40 minutes on the first one, 40 on the second. No, I'm kidding. We'll get through this one quicker, I promise. Verse 11. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. Dave's here to to pull me off the stage if he needs to, right? I see him over there. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The second beast John sees is later called the false prophet of the Antichrist. We're going to see that in chapter 19 and in chapter 20. He seems to be the Antichrist's hype man, okay? He's out there in front of the the camera, and he's hyping up the Antichrist. He's the PR guy, marketing. He draws attention to the Antichrist. Signs and wonders compelling the world to worship the Antichrist. While the first beast, the Antichrist, it's more military, conquering, right, doing his thing. The second beast is going to be the one that's going to take to the media. Again, John didn't know this. He didn't know media. But that's what God does is he uses his wisdom through John's pen here, right? This false prophet is going to be out there promoting the Antichrist, deceiving the world into worshiping the Antichrist. The Antichrist is going to usher in the one world government, the false prophet. It is going to help usher in a one world religion. Worship the Antichrist. Some do take the second beast to be a movement, a group of people, or a priesthood, an unholy people. But since the dragon and the first beast are actual individuals, man, I believe this is going to be an actual individual as well. I don't know that for sure. But look at his description. He rises up out of the earth, a little bit different than the beast rising out of the sea. He only has two horns, like a lamb. So he's got strength, but maybe not as much as the Antichrist who had ten horns. 
also a lamb looks innocent. This is the guy that's being interviewed on the news. This is the guy that's out before people trying to get them excited about the Antichrist. Because some people might be like, whoa, this guy's taking over the world. And he needs, he needs that PR guy, right? Seriously. But remember in Matthew 7, Jesus says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. Jesus gave us all wisdom and knowledge in his scriptures. We just need to put the pieces together. He spoke. This guy speaks like the dragon. He's no innocent lamb. He speaks just as much evil as the dragon, Satan himself, and, and of course the Antichrist, because they are agents of evil. Some believe this might be a Jew coming up out of God's people. Again, we don't know that. There's some speculation there. But deceiving people. The devil is a deceiver. He's a lie speaker. He wants to trick you. We must acknowledge and pay attention to the huge amount of scripture that warn us against false teachers. There are fakes everywhere. Bottom line, don't put it past another believer to become a false teacher. It could be anyone. Guard against false teaching in your church, your community group, your kids' classrooms. Kevin, David, myself have always said, compare what we say up here to God's word, right? Don't just take our word for anything. Compare it to God's word. You need to know. Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Compare it to that. We want you to to understand God's word and know it and not be deceived. The reason that we say he's kind of the PR guy, found in verse 12 to 14, he's going to call attention to the miracles uh, of the, the, the Antichrist was resurrected. He's going to perform great signs like Old Testament prophets before. Look what it says there. The signs that are allowed to be worked in the presence of the beast, it will deceive those who dwell on the earth. John knew this through the revelation that he'd been given by God, and he wrote it down for you and I to know. Now, I hope you all notice that it's allowed to work. God's sovereignty is still on display here. He is who allows Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet to continue on. But again, we look at this and we say, man, this guy performs actual miracles. All miracles are from God. This guy must be from God, right? False. Right? It's not from God. He has the whole world so fooled, he convinces the world to make an image of the beast. Look at this. They, they erect a literal idol of this beast. I think in the end, things are going to get greatly clarified. A lot of times we look at the book of Revelation, a lot of confusing things that we don't understand, right? But I think it's going to be clear to the people who come to faith in God after the rapture that they have made a decision for God and that what's going on in the world is, is false, is wrong, okay? They're going to either worship God or they're going to worship Satan. I think it's going to be far more obvious than sometimes the confusing words say here. And, and to be honest with you, as Kevin and I talked about this today, if we're honest with ourselves, for any of you that have been walking with God for a while and have grown in your faith, and you're a ways down the path, I think the truth 
is it's the same for us today. It just might be a little bit harder to see. There really is no middle ground. You can see that any idolatry is still idolatry. Okay, this is convicting. It was to me, and it should be to you. It doesn't matter what it is. If you worship it more than God, it becomes a statue or it becomes a lowercase g God in your life. Right? We started listing off some things. Money, popularity, the culture, sex, yourself, whatever it might be, if you place that ahead of God and his will in your life, it is an idol. An idol. It's idolatry. And that's the work of Satan. So again, it's easy to talk about this stuff at the end times and this big idol and, and how do these people, I mean, are you serious? And people will believe in this and they'll do this thing. No, no, no. We have to ask ourselves today, what are we worshiping, right? Know the truth, reject the false. Know the truth, reject the false. Because I look at this and I say, man, there's no way that somebody's going to worship a statue. Well, this isn't an ordinary statue. Let's pop on. We're almost done here. Verse 15. And it was allowed to give breath to the image. Okay. This is getting a little crazy here. Breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. And it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for, it's, or for it is the number of man, and his number is 666. Idols cannot normally speak, breathe. They also don't murder. This is no normal idol. Okay, again, we're reading what John has to say here. We're comparing it to the rest of of Scripture. We're comparing it to the rest of this book. Satan, the Antichrist, the PR man, right, the hype man, the three of them are allowed to give breath to this image of the beast so that this image might even speak there is it's it's got to be something demonic in nature a a miracle that's being allowed to have happen because it's going to confuse and and trick people and 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 bring them to a place where they are going to make the decision actually to worship this beast people are going to see it alive and hear it speak and, and look at the words that it speaks Worship me or die. That's scary, right? To those, or or to know who is obeying this, the blasphemous order, or who needs to die, they are going to put a mark on the right hand or the forehead. Now, some of you out there who have been with us all 13 uh, chapters, right, might be saying, okay, this is what I'm here for, right? I need to know what this mark of the beast is so I don't accidentally take it. Right? I mean, that, that's where some people literally, when we started it back in chapter 1, chapter 2, they're like, okay, when do we get into the mark of the beast? Right? I'm like, if you want to know, read ahead. We'll get there. But uh, so the mark of the beast here described as the name of the beast or the number of its name. Right? And, and verse 18 tells us this calls for wisdom. 
Now, people have been trying to figure out what this mark of the beast will actually look like and, and how it is associated to us and to the world we live in for thousands of years. Because we don't know, okay? We don't know for sure. But guess what? This guy right here has figured it out. False. I have not figured it out, right? But, but we're going to talk about it really quick, a couple different things. I would humbly suggest that if you're spending too much time trying to figure something out, especially something like this, your time could be used much better in a lot of different ways. So we're going to talk about it, but then we're going to move on. Now, if you want to study up on it, i got some great resources, and I'll hand those off to you. But we're not going to spend a ton of time as a church trying to figure out this, right? We, we, we need to know. But, Pastor, if I don't know for sure what it is, we don't spend a lot of time on this. If we don't have a four-part series on this, right, the Christian might accidentally take it. And, and that's damning to us, right, for the rest of eternity if you take the mark of the beast. False. Look at how it's described in these verses. This number and or name is voluntarily taken. These people will make a clear choice. They do it on purpose to prove that they have worshipped the image of the beast. It will not be advertised as one thing, but actually be another. Right? Don't let this put you into a, a place of unnecessary fear. You won't be tricked into this. Perfect love, God, casts out all fear. Love and worship of the Savior, Jesus Christ, is what we need in our lives. And just as much as we are marked by Christ, what we talked about at the beginning, if we're truly marked by Christ, our lives should be marked by love and worship of the Savior. Be marked by your relationship with him. Be marked by the way your life looks like his and brings him glory. Or glory. Know the truth. Know the truth. Reject the false. The rest of the world will be marked on the right hand or on the forehead so that they can continue on in commerce. Those who choose Satan over God. That is what it boils down to. Worship me or die. This is not hyperbole either, because you will not be able to buy or sell without this marking. Imagine that. Not being able to buy or sell anything, groceries, gas, electricity, utilities, right? It is a death sentence. The whole 666 thing, uh, again, it's another really uh, hard thing to understand, one of the things that, that we read about and talked about this week uh, is we know that 6666, six, six is the number of man, uh, and we see that repeated three times. God's number, the number of perfection is seven. But Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, 666, six, six, they can't be higher than that. They are not God. So it's possible that it's a threefold repetition there. Uh, and, and Satan can use every tool at his disposal to both come against God and, and to try to make himself equal to God, but he will always fall short. That is a truth we see in Scripture. That is a truth that I think will play out 
And I think that John sees that here in this marking. He is less than God. We need to know the truth and reject the false. One of the authors I read this week, Mounts, describes the parody of the, the, the Holy Trinity by the unholy Trinity in this way. As Christ received authority from the Father in Matthew 11, so the Antichrist receives the authority from the dragon in Revelation 13. And as the Holy Spirit glorifies Christ, so the false prophet glorifies the Antichrist. We see an unholy trinity. We need to know the truth so that we can reject the false. We need to live a life that honors God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And be prepared, even though we'll probably be gone, to recognize false teaching. Because that will happen. The dragon, the Antichrist, the false prophet will probably happen in that second half of that tribulation period. But the false teaching that goes on in this world goes on even today. We need to know the truth and reject the false.